episode three of the Board Game Gambit podcast. Today's episode, work it out, back to basics. Today we're talking about worker placements. Our review of the day is going to be Champions of Midgard. Joining you as always is me, Nathan. And I'm Jackie. Welcome everyone. How have you been? Good. I think Scott has finally reached that level of boredom where he will um, willingly play games with me. So, um, I mean, that's good. That's amazing. (laughs) You just need a nuclear disaster and then you can move on to the monster euros. Right, 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 right. (laughs) We played um, Rex Arcana yesterday. Oh, I like that one. I really like it. It has ended up in the pile that is not being played simply because of physical location. Our boxes are still partially unboxed and uh, since the move. And so it has been suffering from that. But uh, I really liked it the few times I played it. Yeah, I think it's fun the way that you have to like race to get the points. And then just because the end game was triggered doesn't mean that you're going to win it because the other person can come back and get more points. So, And I like that it is... A- I don't know if it's a deck builder you draft, but whatever you want to call it, with a very few cards. Like you have, what, eight cards in your yep. deck? and But that makes for a significant, unique uh, play every time you play, because since you have only eight that you don't freely choose. When I was reading through the cards before playing, it looked like there wasn't enough difference between the cards to mean anything. But mm-hmm. those small changes actually build up to a very different strategy every time you play. Oh, yeah, definitely. And of course, I have the expansion. So then that adds more places of power and more uh, magic items and more mages and more cards, obviously. So I haven't played it with yet that yet, but it looks cool. I played the game three times, so I felt it was a little early for me to get an expansion. I know you're not bound by these uh, mundane concerns. (laughs) So for me, I will have to reach back uh, to basically more than a week ago to to get to to different games because our last two weeks, but uh, with the exception of the weekend, has been consumed by Lord of the Rings, the card game. It's a game that has always been there for us. So for those of you who haven't played it, it's the LCG. uh, um, Fantasy Flight is the longest-running LCG. And uh, it's Lord of the Rings. It's a cooperative. You build a deck from the pool of cards, and then you face um, an AI. And what is really neat is that each scenario has its own deck with its own enemies, its own mechanisms and rules. Um, So they're not trying to make different cards work in different situations but each scenario and its environment has its own complete set of cards um and recently we have been playing through the saga campaign which means basically the actual lord of the rings story rather than stories in the lord of the rings lore okay and we got really into it. Uh, we are pushing through to try and finish the campaign. I have uh, told Anna that I'm getting a little repetitive with it, despite the different scenarios. So our goal is to try and finish the scenario, the campaign, which will be a total of 18 scenarios, but you play some of them multiple times because if you fail, you have to replay them. 
and then slow down with it. I still want to explore all everything else beside the Sega campaign, but I want to play, I don't know, twice a week and not three, four, five times every every night um, the same mm-hmm. game. But it is fascinating. Um, it's I find that, as you know, I am not in love with the deck the pre-game deck building part, for example, of Magic the Gathering, but even of other games that I play more often, the deck building is not where it's at for me. Um, This makes it a little bit better because with the fact that you have these very specific scenarios, instead of building the efficient deck to beat a theoretical opponent or to beat the meta, you are building towards a specific challenge. So when you're going through the cards, you're not going, oh, which one is most powerful or which one works the best with my cards to a point you're doing it but you're also okay for this scenario we need to be able to be sneaky and for this scenario we need to kill a lot of small monsters and for this scenario we need to kill the big barog or the big troll so we need one big powerful attacker and so it provides guidance and you are trying to overcome a specific challenge rather than the generic challenge of whatever the opponent will bring to the table and i really like it which comes with an additional problem. Not only we have been buying more packs to have more cards and things like that, but I now really, really want to play the Arkham Horror LCG that they say wonderful things about, but it's very tough to get in because a lot of stuff is out of print or in between prints. So the best way to get in is buy someone's collection and they usually go for like four or $500. So oh, no. it's, yeah, it, it's difficult. Um, is it so, The yeah. Lord of the Rings by Nate French? Yes, Nate French is the historical initiator of the LCG at Fantasy Flight. Is uh, the guy that uh, our our man, uh, Eric Lang, basically started working with slash for, I don't know the dynamics, but when Eric started getting uh, work on important games, it was um, Game of Thrones, which was with Nate French. And he's in the first edition of the innate, uh, Game of Thrones, it's in Lord of the Rings, etc. The first one that was full Eric Lang was Star Wars LCG, that not surprisingly is my favorite, um, is what brought Lang onto the map for me. Um, and it's really nice, and I think you would like the game. I don't know if you would like the, the style of this keeping going through the scenarios and things like that, but I think the single game you would like quite a bit because again it's a scenario but in which a you have your own set of cards and your things to to care about because it's it's like a magic the gathering game right you have so many cards with so many effects that you cannot direct other people on what to do and mm-hmm. second it's it's very there is a new challenge every round basically depending on what cards come out of this of this scenario deck so it's very nice so that was the Lord of the Rings, the card game from Fantasy Flight by Nate French. Uh, Rex Arcana was by Tom, I forgot his last name. Lemon, I think, or something like that, right? Let me check. Rex Arcana, uh, Rex Arcana, not the Rex Arcana, uh, obviously. Uh, I oh, yeah, Rez Arcana. Rez Arcana, okay, I can find him. Uh, stuff of magic, not king of magic. Okay, Thomas, uh, Thomas Lehman. Lehman. Oh yeah. 
Sandcastle games, they did one game, Rasa Arcana. So oh, and the expansion, like, and the expansion. And the expansion <laughs> looks at Tenebrae, but we cannot talk about that yet, apparently, because we don't know much about it. Uh, right. What else have you played? Oh, we started uh, the Scooby-Doo Coded Chronicles game. Oh, this one I don't know. <laughs> no, that's not your most played game of uh, 2021. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but I'm curious about it. Uh, wh- what is it called again? Scooby-Doo? Scooby-Doo Escape from the Haunted Mansion. It's a Coded Chronicles game. So mm-hmm. basically, you play as the five characters, Velma, Shaggy, Scooby, Fred, and Daphne. And you are going through a little haunted house. Um, you like had car trouble, and you end up in this house, and now you're there. It's very story based and it has a few little puzzles in it that are quite cute um it has like little envelopes that you open as you discover different things which i love little envelopes which is why i probably still have that soft spot for king's dilemma that you guys were like meh but (laughs) but um so you have different little envelopes that you open as um you figure different things out uh each person has a special ability um, Velma is research, Fred is investigate, Daphne is use, uh, Scooby is smell, and Shaggy is eat. <laughs> so if you need to eat something, you know who to go to. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so basically it's called Coded Chronicles. So you're going around with the different people and each person has a different number. And then you put that number in front of numbers that are found on the map. And then you go to that section in the book and see what happened. Okay. So if you if you want a certain character to use something, the number, their number goes in front of the item. And then you flip to that. They each have their own different manual. So then you read it. And sometimes they're like, nothing happened. Like, the not that, like blatant but they tell you like a little story like oh i don't know anything about this or i can't lift this or whatever so then you have to figure out who you need to actually go to that spot and i don't know i really like it i think it's it's quite charming we played through the first half of it so is it a a one playthrough i yeah okay the it's a two-part thing um and we did the first half so it was basically one person ended up getting isolated by themselves and then we had to go around and find the other people. Yeah, that was how the first half of it started. So, first of all, if we really didn't care for um, King's Dilemma to the level that you're implying, we would probably not have played 18 games of it. Um, and <laughs> Second, I have never seen a single episode of Scooby-Doo. What? Yes, and only part of it is a uh, cultural difference. I mean, it's certainly not as big of a thing in Italy, but people do watch it. But I watch very, very little TV growing up. And yeah. by the time I was watching TV, I I guess I wasn't interested in, um, in Scooby-Doo that much. So, yeah, uh, this... The, the characters mean absolutely nothing to me. I know the Scooby-Doo is a dog and yeah. that 
there is uh, because I've seen it in memes. Uh, there is a guy that takes off his mask at the end of an episode. That's yes, that's yes, all I know about. <laughs> and I know they have a nice car. Yes, uh, the mystery machine. So yeah, so I'm interested because they re-implemented the same um, system in another game. So I wanted to see if I would like this one before I would. Um, look at the other one which is uh the shining but now that i'm looking at that one it has really bad reviews i am not a fan of the shining which makes me a very rare creature because everyone seems to be in in love with that game but um the shining yeah uh, I a lot of people told me oh you have to read the book and maybe the book will be better for me but um, I usually like Stephen King's books, but I know it's a masterpiece and Kubrick and all of that, but I find it uh, not not interesting at all. Um, I mean, good acting, but but yeah, that's b- beside the point, uh, and I know I am wrong about that, uh, or at least in the very, very minority, but uh, that's how it is. It seems like this would be a little bit more manageable, though, because there's only two characters. Whereas we have five that we're like constantly like, we're like, oh, this person need, look, looks at this. Okay, now what do they do? Okay, well, let's see if the other person knows something about the same thing. So we're like looking through different booklets. It's kind of cute. Like, I I don't know. I'm I'm holding off on my total review of it before, uh, until after we finish it. Shining Escape from Overlook Hotel, not to be confused with The Shining, another game that came out this this year. Uh, yeah, well, the graphic design is amazing on, on The Shining one. Uh, I I really like the the graphic design of that one, but maybe I would like the game. It's not necessarily a one to one conversion. So yeah. So beside, for the, I normally don't play uh, video games, but v, uh, board games got me into it. I looked at uh, the Kingdom Rush Kickstarter because a few people that I knew were backing it. Okay. Uh, and I decided I'm not interested in the game. It looks like a, a sad Tetris thing. Uh, but <laughs> that led me to discover Kingdom Rush that I had never heard about. And I have been playing too much of it over the last three days. But um, <laughs> that aside, we revisited Nantinarking, which I don't know if you have played yet. No, I no. think I played it with, with Rich and Ryan when it came. It, so it arrived right before the pandemic. And it's a game that is supposed to shine at 4 or 5. So you can get that much play. We had played it once. Uh, we hadn't been, Anna at least hadn't been too impressed with it. I gave it another shot with two players. And with two players, it's a little more control. It's a game that comes from Ankhmore Morpork, or whatever you pronounce it, the city in the Discord of the universe by Terry Pratchett. The game is the re-implementation of that. I guess they lost the rights. So the designer is the same, uh, Martin Wallace. And from my understanding, the game is basically the exact same, just instead of having... Fantasy character number three, you have Victorian character number two. And so you have Sherlock Holmes and street urchins and uh, politicians from like Benjamin Disraeli or Chamberlain and things like that. 
so from Victorian England. And you play all of these cards every turn. You play a card, draw a card, play a card, draw a card. That's all you do in your turn. You have a hand of five. And what these cards do is where the game is at. Some are very simple. Put an agent on the map and you expand from where you control an area to another area. Others are way more involved. Like every character, every player at the table has to give you two coins and they cannot, uh, they remove one of their agents. And there are a few additional rules. Like when you place an agent, when there is already an agent, you cause trouble, which is a token. Uh, Police may show up. Fire can destroy stuff. What you're trying to do is control uh, places and build buildings. When you build a building, they each district has a building associated. So you build a generic building, but you get the card corresponding to that uh, spot, and that gives you some activatable abilities until your building gets destroyed. And you are trying. The interesting thing is that it's very chaotic because you you draw from this deck and you do what what you can. And some cards are strictly better than others because let you play another card. The interesting part is you're trying to achieve a secret objective, which is different for each player. One wants to have control of a lot of places. One wants to build a lot of buildings. Another wants to have a lot of value, money, and buildings. Another one wants to cause trouble, is fagin, fagin, whatever it is called. And if you get to eight trouble, which is the maximum, you win the game. And if no one wins at the end of the game, there is if Sherlock Holmes is in the game, he wins. And if he's not there, you count points. So... It has some things that would be a, a great flaw by themselves uh, in my book. For example, the fact that cards, some cards are strictly superior to others. Like my card places two agents and kills one of yours. Your card places one agent. Uh, and the fact that they come all from the same deck. Mm-hmm. However, the game, even when played with four players, takes 40 to 45 minutes. Um, and so it becomes more uh, free-for-all. Oh, you did that. Okay, then I'll do this. And trying to keep an eye on what people are doing. And to me, that ended up being very fun. Um, I find it charming. It, it gets more ridiculous than frustrating when things don't go your, your way. Like when, oh, okay, I have used four cards to build a building. It costs you two, one card to build two of them. And then, obviously, the fire comes out when I am. Obviously, if you get into the game expecting, I don't know, an Agricola or a serious, serious Euro, you will be sorely disappointed. But even if you go into it expecting a long, drawn-out battle of wits like Blood Rage or Rising Sun, um, so it's an area control, but that's a very call for fun and fast chaos. Uh, and I think if someone goes into it understanding that, it works very well for that. So two things. One, I thought you didn't like Martin Wallace games. Well, I feel that <laughs> part of it... No, no, you are absolutely right. And some of the things that I tolerate, I find even interesting in Night in Arking, for example, the fact that different things are differently powerful, which drove me insane in uh, Mythostopia or whatever it's called, that I didn't like in uh, um, Few Acres of Snow, etc. Here there is so much randomness that I feel like I'm playing Kamal Up, right? I am edging my bets, trying to do my best, and the, the, 
the length is the same. The spirit of the game is different because you can actually do things to players, but it has the same feeling. And second, even this is certainly my favorite of these that I've played. It probably wouldn't break my top 100. Um, wait, wait, wait. But I did find one that you do actually like of his. Hit which one? Road. Sure. Uh, I like it probably better than this slightly. They are in the same area. Games that I'm happy to have, very different games. This is wonderfully looking. It has uh, cute minis and metal coins and the cards are illustrated and it's in Victorian England, which is a period that I like a lot imaginatively. It was obviously a horrible period in human history, but... But yeah, both of those, they are, I guess I like his simpler games, which makes me think I might like his Warband or whatever it's called, the one with the fast fight on the board. Um, it's also not a big uh, slow game. I find his games risk getting very slow. And so probably the ones that are meant to be shorter and lighter, I tend to like more. I uh, pre-ordered... Uh, Anno 1800, which is not any of the things you just described. I don't know it. What is it called? Anno 1800. Okay. Uh, and is it about navigation? What is it about? Uh, it's it's about like industrializing things. I would say that it looks very nice. Uh, on the table. Very, very nice. I know nothing about it. Uh, car game, city building, industrial manufacturing, end game bonuses, race, tech trees. Does me very little. Uh, could could go either way. Uh, again, is track record with me on this kind of games. It's not great. I didn't like Brass. I really didn't like Tin Tra Trail, whatever it's called. I don't particularly yeah. love Steam. So we it doesn't, shall see. doesn't <laughs> bode well, but at least the production is very, very good. Um, do you know anything besides the fact that it was a Kickstarter or a pre-order so you could have it? Uh, I watched a, a playthrough of it and it was really interesting because um, you're building up different, uh, different things on your own board. But if someone else builds something you can use theirs. So like, say I really need to make canned meat or something that, and you built that, then I can use yours in order to further uh, develop my area. And you get a bonus from, from me using your thing. And um, it's just a lot of like expansion. And then there are a lot of little cards that have different like goals that you're trying to meet as the game go progresses. And the whole point of the game is to get rid of all of your goals, basically. But mm -hmm. every time you get more, like, workers, you are also taking a goal. So it's, like, taking – it's that balance between, like, oh, do I need more people or do I need to just start really hammering down on these goals and getting them out of my hand? Because they're worth points, but then they're uh, – and then that also triggers endgame and stuff like that. So This sounds exciting, actually, uh, and I'm not saying that. I mean, it sounds strange about a game about fulfilling orders, but this is both from the images and from what you're saying. For example, that thing about, sure, you can get another worker, but you are extending your obligations. Uh, that sounds like a very interesting variant on there. You need to feed people. 
at least is a little more varied. Yeah, I, I like I said, I watched a a video of it, learning how to do it, and it it seems really cool. Like, and it it has like a lot of different things that we both really enjoy, which is like the arc of the game. Because as you as you go on, you you know you start out with the like most basic stuff, like making wood and making barrels and doing this, and then towards the end, you're like making sewing machines and and steel and all this different stuff and so um it it looks really cool i will definitely definitely check it out i am also looking into uh i have well, first of all i've seen your uh kickstarter uh, activity spike don't look up at it. don't look at it no no i have to because <laughs> I, it's it's the digest, right? I either read the the page of board games or I simply click on. No, I actually don't see everything. Um, I am still on the fence on a few things, uh, mostly because I don't know if I need them in Kickstarter or not. Um, but I am actually looking forward to the launch of Tiny Epic Dungeons which I know very little about, um, but it's Tiny Epic, which I usually like and uh, sounds like a fun a fun thing. I haven't backed Stroganoff yet. I am uh, curious about your feeling. I saw that you um, got um, the Mad King Ludwig. Have you played the original one? Yeah, I have it. Well, when you get, the, the at this point, the fancy version, um, <laughs> I, I want to revisit it. Uh, so... Castle of Mad King Ludwig. Um, have you played the, the original? Yes, you said. Um, yeah, I really like it. It was one of my first games like ever in my collection. Because so, you answered, yes, I own it. Which right, right, right. Is <laughs> so it's by Ted Alspach, who's the same guy who does... Um, what's his other big game. Oh, well, I don't remember right now. A, a, he worked on Age of Steam a lot, but anyhow, um, he did, is it Suburbia is? What was it? Suburbia. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he did Suburbia, and for those who haven't seen it, Suburbia is one of the most important city-building games. You basically build your map out of hexagon tiles, but the way you get these Styles. And the game has a lot of interesting things. For example, you're managing your population versus your income. You want a lot of population um, to get more uh, points, but the income decreases, something like that. There are two tracks. I remember it being very fascinating, and the effects of all of these styles are very interesting. However, Suburbia for me had a little flaw. The graphic um, Well, <laughs> that was a flaw, but one that I overcame because I did play. Um, so the way you acquire tiles is there is a sliding track and the ones that have been out there the most are cheap. They cost like $2. And the ones that are just out cost $24. And that's a significant spread and it works very well for the majority of the game. Meaning, sure, I can get the one that just came out at the beginning of my turn, but it will cost me a lot. The problem was I played a handful of times because I didn't like the game for the reason that I am explaining. So obviously I cannot say that that happens all the times. Mm -hmm. But it seemed to me that by the end, when your machine is actually singing, and therefore if you are playing well, you are getting a lot of money, you 
the, the problem is not as stringent as before. In all three games that I played, I think I played three or four times, everyone was interested in a specific tile that in two of those was an airport, uh, which there are very few of. And so everyone knew that when the airport would come out, they would have to snatch it. And so at that point, it became a, oh, let's see who gets it out, right? And in one of those two games, someone has got it. I was very frustrated. The next game, I got it. And it was still frustrating because it was, well, if it had come out in your turn, you would have won the game. And I feel that what Castle of Mad King Ludwig does, and that's the long introduction to this, is <laughs> twist that on its head. The game in itself, despite the fact that you're building a castle and not a city, has a similar idea. You are getting tiles and try to fit them together. Uh, Mad King Ludwig is a little more charming because the the effects are more unique and the shapes are also irregular rather than being all hexagonal. But the concept is the same. You're getting something from the pool and building not really a machine, but a point tableau. However, the genius thing is that instead of, oh, you get these and you, you, you just see what comes out, the player whose turn it is sets the price for the, the pool for that round Mm-hmm. And then everyone else has the option to buy them at that price from them. And if they don't, the auctioneer or so the player whose turn it is gets to pick what, what's there. Gets the, master builder. the master builder. The master builder. I loved it, that, that part. Um, the game, therefore, went from, oh, interesting mechanism, but I don't like the game, to... Some of the mechanisms are maybe less interesting because it loses that track manipulation. But I did like Castle of American Ludwig. I never played it again because Anna hated the Master Builder because she doesn't like auction games much. And having to set the the, the tracks uh, didn't jive with her. So she played it once, she won it, and said, I will never play it again. What um, player count did you play it at? All three times I played at three players. See, I really like it at two. Mm-hmm. Um, and people may fight me on that. But it is so much easier. Because I feel like as the castles get bigger and bigger, you can very clearly start to see, like, oh, they need this. Or or they have this many, and I need, I have this many. So... Um, you know, if I put this at this price, then they might buy it. So it's, you have literally one person to watch what they're doing. So it's kind of a push and pull between, do I want to make it cheap enough for them to buy it, even though it may, you know, give them a pointer or a couple points. So that way they give me money so that way I can do what I really want to do. Mm-hmm. So I really like the push and pull of that. I feel like at two, it it really does well. Yeah, it looks like the community really says four. Well, I guess because that offering and seeing what remains there, I think you draft five pieces and so you four will be picked. Sounds like it would be at its best, but... 
I have never played it before. I actually really like the flow with three. You had a little bit more of just, well, I set the price and you choose. There were two people that you had to like survive before you could get what you wanted. Yeah. Um, but the the collector's edition looks splendid. Yes. Absolutely splendid. I'm I'm excited for the new stuff coming out for it too. So Oh, I, it it adds rules as well. I think they streamlined the rule book and they also added like sm- small expansions. Um the thick tiles. Oh, that's what uh Ted Alsback is famous for. He, all of the one night to demo werewolf areas, all of that busier games align. Yep. Okay, I knew I I knew him from something else. I couldn't bring wrap my head around it. It looks fantastic. Even the rule book looks fancy. Yep. <laughs> um, I actually really like this kind of. It's thicker tiles, thicker pieces. It doesn't necessarily go crazy with the yeah, sure, There are a few miniatures of towers which honestly feel almost out of place. Um, what I really, really like is is the the little trays to keep the pieces and yeah. uh, the deluxified chits and the thick cardboard. Did you see the um, scoreboard? I think I saw it in... Uh, yeah, is this... This thing with the, with the lake? Yeah, so the old one was literally like a tower but like a generic tower like looking um flat piece of board and you would go and it would just wrap up and it it was just so sad looking and this is so pretty um i'm excited for the little swans (laughs) yeah things like that i like more than than the addition of uh so you you got the royal level with the the, the, the meta coins and the plastic pocket chips, yeah, yeah, that those things I like usability upgrades more than the the miniatures of the building that stand up that really look out of shape with the rest of the game. Um, I think those are a different thing. Well, they are, yeah, they are new buildings that certain rooms they are called towers. And certain rooms will bring them into play, yeah. I think. Um, but it looks fantastic. At this point, I will wait for this to come, and then we will play this. Since we haven't played it until now, we can wait until it comes. I am a little sad because I had the original, and I bought the broken token insert for it. Yep, I can see the sadness there. So... Also, because it's not like there will be a big market of people looking for a fancy version of the old one with a fancy insert. Right. <laughs> so I'll probably sell it at the next Gen Con. You should have led with, do you want to buy a... <laughs> <laughs> it looks so good, though. The The art is very nicely upgraded. Everything is just very nicely upgraded and i figured i was like you know what i've had this game for a very long time i just i really wanted all the new stuff and the the quality of life upgrades and the fact that they used game trays i think game trays is the best for inserts 
I will defer to your analysis because I know very little. Who, what games might have I have seen that include the game trades? Is it um, Green Forest one of theirs? Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Then, <laughs> then I I agree. <laughs> I um, mean, Wingspan. Wingspan was one. I don't remember the insert for that. I'm trying to think what other... Everything was nice in Wingspan, but the gameplay. So I assume that was nice as well. Every like every time I've, I've played with it, it just it's so cool. To, to Which ledge level did you go in at? The middle one. Colossal? Yeah. No, 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 not the Colossal. Because it's already a table hog. And for the pieces to be even bigger, I was like, that's, that's ridiculous. Oh, the Colossal is bigger. Okay, I hadn't checked. So you went for Royal. I, yeah. It seems like a smart choice. I, I support your your royalness. <laughs> um, did Was there anything that uh, was coming up that you were excited about? Because I have three. <laughs> oh, go, go ahead. As I said, I have been... Uh, containing my my look forward i am really struggling with uh, stroganoff because i am 100% sure that i won the game mm-hmm. i also right now inclined towards not backing it because the the laxified things are very few and sparse and their stretch goals tend to go into the retail box but also i feel horrible because they're doing things nicely, right? They're not putting out a ton of exclusives. The exclusive are only a few different tokens and things like that. Yeah. But therefore, I don't really need to get it on Kickstarter. It looks really nice. And um, yeah, no, no. Uh, I am waiting for the launch of Tiny Epic Dungeon, but that's about it. Uh, so On Mars announced a co-op expansion. Did you get it yet? On Mars? Yeah. Yeah, it just came the other day. Oh, yeah, I didn't know that. I on Mars and Kanban that. came. I'm, I'm excited to play on Mars. Yes, it will be a lot of fun. But so on Mars, the uh, cooperative expansion, I was like, how can I get Scott to play this? And then like literally the next day or the day after, they released the um, the Alien Invasion co-op expansion. So I'm like... Or it's going to come to Kickstarter, but um, they announced it. So I'm very curious to see how it will go. Not having played yet the the origin game, the original game, because it was I was waiting for you to get it, and even if it had come earlier, we would not have been able to play it together. But um, I am interested and a little skeptical about. Eurostone Cop, for example, despite really, really liking the game, I never got the Cop expansion for Orleans. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I got the Tom Saga for the Shem Phillips uh, games, mm-hmm. um, but mostly because I want to be able to play uh, the, the three connected games, the campaign, yeah. rather than for the cops and i'm sure i will try it when it gets here but it wasn't my my picking interest so i'm really curious on paper 
it sounds like something that I don't need, right? I have a lot of cops that I really like, but I like my euros just like they are, usually yeah. mean. Yeah. Um, but but look uh, it up though. You have to look at yeah. the meeples, and people people rave about uh, this cop version of of previously non cop games. Yeah. Um, what is the expansion called? On Mars Alien Invasion, a somewhat cooperative expansion. <laughs> the name is very very cool, and. Uh, Okay, I, I am not finding it because I, I don't Kickstarter well enough. Um, oh, no, no, I, it's not on Kickstarter yet. I was talking about on uh, BGG. Okay, I will check it there. Um, so it wasn't a failure on my part. No. But yeah, I, I look forward to your report. Speaking of Sean Phillips, that's something else that I'm looking forward to, the expansion for Paladins. I decided not to get the first expansion for Architects, Architects mm-hmm. because what it added, we didn't like the sound of it. Uh, but the new expansion for Paladins looks like uh, it expands the, the game space rather than changing it up, which is something that I really like. But again, it says right at the top of the page that there is nothing particular about the Kickstarter, so I will just order it together with something else when it yeah. comes out. This image of the expansion is awesome sauce. The like cover is so cool. And then the like, look at the little meeples, the little alien it's meeples. Unbelievable. This little image with the form aliens, but even more so the one that you see your board. I don't know if it's a player board or something else with all of the aliens around. It's phenomenal. It it looks like modernist visionary art. Uh, I is it O'Toole, I guess? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I am not, as you know, enamored with him like you are, but this in particular is a, seems like a masterpiece. Well, Omar's already is uh, fantastic. And I I speak as someone who doesn't necessarily look the necessarily muted uh, visuals of, of the Red Planet, right? I... I am excited, for example, for the rover to have gotten there, but they have no fascination for looking at the pictures um, <laughs> like others are. Um, I find the, the the technological enterprise interesting, but not the visual. And yet, both the base game, but here again, not surprising since we bring aliens in and so something that is actually not there in, in space, um, it's fantastic. Uh, oh, so good. That that board, you're right that the alien meeples are fantastic, but that small board, I don't know what it is. It looks super interesting. People go look it up on, on BGG. It's hard to describe because it, I don't know what it is, but there is this little board with hexagons and round forms that normally don't go well together, and instead they are very, very good. Is um, O'Toole also the graphic designer? I, that's never credited. Uh, separately, but I'm curious. I have a suspicion he might be doing both, or at least he certainly must work very closely with with the graphic designers because his games always have a put togetherness which lacks in other in other big productions. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. Uh, it's it's super hard to find, which we'd have to to track down the information, and I'm certainly not doing it now, but. Yep, that looks very good. So I'm excited about that. 
And then the other thing I'm excited about is uh, Red Rising, which was announced from uh, Stormlight okay. Games. What excites you about it? Um, th- I watched a playthrough of it, and it, it seems like my kind of game. It's like hand management, combo building. Um, so you're playing cards to different areas. Everyone's a, a asymmetric faction. You're playing cards to different areas, and then you have to take a card. And these are all at um, when you play a card to an area, like the card, the cards have different deploy effects. So when you play it, it something happens, and then you can um, pull a card from a different column. There's four different columns, and based on what column you're taking it from, you also get the the bonus of that area so then you're putting influence cubes into the institute or you're getting heli helium or helios i don't remember little red gems Mm -hmm. (laughs) and or you're taking the the sovereign token which is uh it's not the first player marker but it like i think it's like it's I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It's just a token that you get, and it lets you use your effect of your specific faction. The graphic design is amazing. The um, I'm gonna get the deluxe version because it has like metal stuff, a lot of metal pieces. Um, there's a all of me surprised. I know there's a, a meeple track or not a meeple track, a fleet track. Um, where if you the the end of the game is triggered by um, three things. Uh, you, someone has to have a fleet level of seven. You have to have at least seven gems or seven uh, in the Institute. So if anyone, if all three people, wait, if all three of those things are hap, have happened, the game ends with okay. the same number of turns, or if one person has two of those things. And in which case they win the game, or nope? It the game uh, still ends the the same number of turns, okay. and then you do points. So the cards that you're playing not only have these play effects, but at the end of the game you score for how many cards you have in your hand, not mm-hmm. for how many, but you score the points off of the cards that are in your hand. And some of them have uh, really good like different end effects like score x amount of points if all the cards in your hand have start with a different letter or um if there are this many number of gold and white cards on the board then you score this additional bonus points so um and then you can only score up to seven and anything over that starts getting negative points um you still get the points off of it but they have like a penalty so I don't know. It just seems like a very fun little game. It doesn't seem to take super long. And um, I'm actually going to read the books because it's about. Yeah, that that's what I wanted to bring up. So the reason I'm not excited about this book is that Red Rising is not a series that I don't like, but is at the same time one of the most disappointing reading experience I had. Oh, no. Because I actually really like dystopian literature. Me too. Um, I am working actually on a, on a work project connected to dystopian literature. I hope to, to teach it next semester. 
Um, and so when I heard about this, this sounded great. Uh, not the game, the, the book, years, a few years ago. So I got into the book and the first part of the first book is amazing. I, I won't spoil it because there are a couple of interesting surprises, but that take that dystopian idea into even more um, mind-blowing imagination and things like that. And then it gets in basically a Hunger Games on steroids. There are these big battle games and these people with superpowers and um well the premise which is also in the board game is that a, a person from the lower class genetically pretends to be so he gets modified to pretend to be uh, of the higher class mm-hmm. but these higher class are these super people basically that are super strong and super intelligent super fast and they punch super hard and they cut super cutty and <laughs> the second half of the book is a lot of that and I know it's a young adult novel, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I, I can forgive something like that. That, combined with the fact that with me, Stonemeyer has a mixed mix result, meaning I have never played a game of them that I hated, like even Wingspan is not there is nothing hateable about it. It's fine. Mm-hmm. I don't like it particularly, but it's not a game that is frustrating or that at the end of the game, you say, who could design something like that, obviously, even if it, to me, is definitely not up there as it is for other people. But then Viticulture is the same. Viticulture I actually like better, but still is not a game that I will look for. Charterstone was a nice idea, but we never finished the campaign and there is a reason. Euphoria had a wonderful theme, wonderful art, and the game was okay. I like um, Euphoria. Tapestry, which came out last year, I really liked the tech tree and I really liked the idea and I had fun playing it until the end of the game when I was playing and my friends were looking at me and that made me sad. Um, the only two that I really, really like are Scythe, which mm-hmm. is, I think, a masterpiece. And Between Two Cities, which is a nice light drafting game. So I am a little skeptical. I am not jumping on the bandwagon yet. This said, depending on what they took of the book, uh, it could be a very, very cool theme and setting because I like the premise of the setting and I don't know which part they will focus on. Um, but yeah, how did you like Tapestry? I never played it. I'm wondering, I'm wondering because you seem attracted to um, tech trees. A lot of games that have tech trees, you you jump into them, so you might like Scythe. Um, Tapestry. Uh, Tapestry. Sorry, yeah, yeah. I know you do like Scythe. Um, I they said so it was yeah. like very unbalanced, though, depending on who on what person you're playing with it might be i only played it once or twice i don't even remember once um this is also by jamie stegmeyer first of my games and uh it's the big game of 2019 beside uh, wingspan um i don't know i think i think you should give it a try you might like it and the unbalanced 
Sure, but you also have to consider that Sight also apparently has serious, serious problems of balance for people who played it 250 times. Um, so well, they have the I, banned things. Yeah, banned but for example, I I make a note and from time to time I re- try to remember to check which ones are banned. But I don't feel that if we were to play it at home with... I mean, I think I've played Sight 20 times, so I'm definitely not an expert. And I remember some people running away with it, and I'm quite sure that if I went and checked what they were playing, they were not playing the bad, the bad things. I'm at a level where if someone is very good at sight, will just still just beat me, and there is no balancing that I have to worry about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wonder if tapestry is the same because uh, Stonemaier games have as have i guess a very strong and dedicated fan base that plays their games rapidly which means they might have found this serious imbalance that to us would not appear in the amount of times that we might actually play that game yeah also there are a lot of factions there are like 16 and another eight in the expansion so i guess even if two of them were proclaimed to be utterly broken you just play with the other 14 sure i i said me is um okay i think we we did a hell of an introduction here <laughs> oh the last thing i'm excited about is i'm oh sorry all all my all these kickstarters are coming oh that's good i got lots of <laughs> lots of uh ups notifications and this is on the way this is on the way i'm like oh gosh i need to play them i know and then so an order that i ordered from um boardlandia mm-hmm. on for their uh thanksgiving um thanksgiving yeah their their black friday sale well some of it was um like pre pre-order stuff mm-hmm. so i ordered from them and it's just now shipping and i told scott i started laughing he goes what's the matter i said um so uh 36 pounds of games are coming wait what (laughs) okay i will need you to send me a list i'm curious uh i have paleo inish uh trajan Beyond the Sun, which I think you would like because it's super, super tech tree. That's like all it is. Um, Unicorn Fever, and it's a Wonderful World expansions. I think I'm fifty percent on those, um, <laughs> and I will, I will play the fifty percent. As okay. you know, I'm not fan of Trajan. Okay. Yeah. So at the early time of fifty-five minutes in, we can. <laughs> I guess move forward to our review for today, which is uh, a game that I think both of us like quite a bit, but we will see in a moment. And that's Champions of Midgard. So who is it by? I don't even remember. I am Stannis and published by Grey Fox Games. For me, this was what put uh, Grey Fox Games on the map and almost t- took it away as well, <laughs> meaning there are a few other games that I like of theirs, although there are some. Um, it's uh, So it's a worker placement game in which 
you place workers on a map that depicts a village, but you are both placing in the village to take resources and gain dice, which are the warriors in the game, and there are different kind of dice. And you are placing workers to reserve spots on, uh, on the outskirt of the village to fight monsters. You are trying to balance the worker placement part where you get uh, two kind of resources, one fighting uh, trick, and cards that are endgame bonuses or immediate uh, usage abilities, getting the dice, getting information about the monsters. Some of them have uh, secret cards, but you're also reserving the spot to fight. When everyone is done with the worker placement that goes in a very regular way, I place a worker, you place a worker, they place a worker, and we keep going it until we are done with workers. Then what makes the game particularly interesting is you then go to resolve these fights and you, after the worker placement, you take all of the resources that you have in the dice and you split them among the things that you want to do. And some of the resources are needed to get other stuff, like in most games, but, for example, you need food to go fight monsters that are far away. And you need boats to go, or ships, I guess, to go fight monsters that are far away. So you deploy the resources, you divide your dice up, and you uh, then resolve. Which means you roll the dice, the rules are very simple, you're looking for hits, and the monsters do a certain amount of damage against you every round of combat, meaning every time you roll the dice. So you can re-roll them as many times as you need to defeat the monster, but the more time you take, the more dice you lose to the monster. And you score golden points. You do this eight turns at the end of the game, whoever has the most points wins. I think that considering this game in particular, um, there is a lot to be said of how the game is integrated by the expansion. So when I think of Champions of Midgard, I don't think it anymore as a game for which I also have an expansion, like I do with, with some other games, right? Abyss, for example. The game is very solid, very distinct in its own way, and then I know that the expansion adds the Black Pearls. Right? It's a very specific subset. Here, my experience of Champions of Midgard is now definitely Champions of Midgard with both its expansions, but particularly with the Valhalla expansion. Uh, I think that expands the game. So basically what it adds, it sounds very simple, but it actually changes the game significantly. Every time one of your dice die, one of your dice dies, <laughs> um, one of your warriors dies, you get the Valhalla token. It's basically the spirit of the warrior entering Valhalla, which first is very thematic. You get something when they die a glorious death, not if they die of starving and not if you don't manage to get them killed, which sometimes is a problem. And you can spend those to fight interplanetary monster or to recruit new troops through Valkyrie help or to get some bonus scoring and bonus stuff. So not only you're managing all of that, but there are new cards, there are multiple new types of monsters in the Turin's expansions. Um, the monsters get more variety, so some of them take uh, glory from you, which are the points, rather than uh, doing damage because they are disgusting monsters. And you have set collection, but 
So while the actions that you take in the game don't change, it has two effects. First, it doesn't make it so that if you roll better, you will win 90% of the time. Rolling better is still useful, but there is a lot more to consider now. And second, they expand the game so that you can do more in the same amount of time. Because since you have effectively another resource that you didn't have before without costing you anything, because you lose the die that you would have lost anyhow, and instead of getting nothing for it, you get more stuff. You The other expansion also brings in a leader that makes um, starting powers asymmetric. And I think it works for this game because there is still some randomness. So I think the expansion is an integral part of the game uh, right now. Uh, do you Have you played it without the expansion? No, because I've only ever played it with you. And so it was always with the expansion. Um, I agree with you. I think that it adds, it doesn't add too much as far as like, I don't know how to put it, but like, I don't think it adds too much complexity because the things still die. Even if you're not playing with the expansion, things will die. It's just that you're not getting benefit from them dying if you don't have the expansion. So it's. It, it it doesn't add a, a lot of complexity, but it does add benefits which make the game flow a little easier. Um, it's, it's easier for you to get things done, which is why it just, in my opinion, makes the, it a better game. So let's get directly into our general feeling of the game. I, I like it. Uh, that I think that was clear from my <laughs> introduction. Uh, I feel it does well what it purposes to be. It's it's a Euro game. It still is a Euro game, but that has, doesn't take itself too seriously. You are uh, sending your, your big dice to fight the monsters. And um, it I think it delivers, right? It has a few very thematic ideas for a Euro. Again, it's not uh, an era control game. You don't have units with list of special abilities etc but the fact for example that each die works a little different like in the base game there are only three levels of dice where basically there are different strengths but Mm. the the expansion brings in the berserk who's super strong but dies first or the shield maiden who uh, is not particularly aggressive but it's a reliable source of shields and so your people tend to die less and I think the general feeling for me is one of extreme satisfaction. Every time I play it, it's uh, nice. It might be a little long uh, yes. with all thrown in, but I think it's one of those where, oh, we have been playing for two hours and enough. I don't usually feel the length getting right. to me. Yeah, I think that it is definitely one of those games where you will be surprised by how long you've been playing the game. Because your individual moments of of placing different workers are very succinct you have you know standard worker placement and but then you get to all resolve the battles and the battles are dynamic and um people get to really like cheer you on or boo you when you <laughs> squeak, yes. out, squeak out a win and and it just makes it for this like really 
even if you're not battling, you still have interest in what the person's doing. And uh, yeah, I agree. And at the same time, each small battle is resulting like less than a minute, right? It's two, right. three rolls. So even if you're not battling, it's not, oh, I now sit here and you go through this very long battle is, okay, if I'm done with my battle line, Nathan has one, then Anna has one, then Nathan has another one. And so there is a little bit of dynamism even in your witnessing. And I think that's important. <laughs> yeah. uh, the, main, the main hook, well, I think that's the dice, right? The fact, I don't know if it was done before, but this idea of building a euro, a euro, because it's a euro, it's a worker placement in which you go to a spot, you can only go there, that's what worker placement is about, in my opinion, and you take whatever is there, it has some of that agricola feeling of if you don't take a spot, the spot grows and it becomes more and more uh, interesting. But I think the main hook is this, way in which you get a resource that is a die. So the, the randomness of the die does not come in your worker placement action, like in small war, in um, uh, Stone Age, is not before in input randomness, like in uh, Feld games where you roll and you see what you can do. You mm-hmm. go and then you have a moment of resolution. I think that's the, the main hook. Is there anything else that makes this different from other games for you? Um, I mean, I think you pretty much covered it all. Like, it it just... I don't know. I just... It's very charming the way that you, you go around to the different areas and you resolve everything. And uh, But having that balance of, of getting the resources versus fighting the monsters and when you don't... When no one goes and fights off the trolls... And then everyone is like, ah, because then you get the penalty. I forget what it's called. If no one fights uh, the for me or something like that, shame, basically. <laughs> and um, the the feeling around the table when no one went to the troll and you're like, oh, I thought you were going to get the troll and no one gets him. And then you're like, <laughs> I just, I don't know. It has a lot of. I like the 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 feeling of the game. It just really resonates with me. Plus, I, I think I like dice way more than you do. Well, yeah, but I really like this one. Um, and the dice like me better. Oh, that's for sure. <laughs> Which is weird because obviously on a rational level, I know that things like bad luck cannot really exist. But sometimes it really really feels like it. And I have a game to prove it because at Gen Con, I had to do an, an, I had a coupon to roll dice and try to win a game. I just brought you along and you went, sure, I will win the game that everyone is trying to win by just rolling the, the, the name of the thing on the dice. It was amazing. <laughs> um, the game was meh, uh, but, but the thing itself was amazing. So how do you feel about uh, components and theme? So I... I'm a little torn about it because I feel like the, so I had the base version of it, mm-hmm. uh, the non Kickstarter version, because I came to the party late. Uh, so I had just the basic stuff. So I went back and uh, found a website that actually was selling a lot of the components that are, um, that were Kickstarter like exclusives, like little Viking different shaped things. So I think the Kickstarter components are great. 
um i've never played with the non-kickstarter components Mm -hmm. so um i think that's really cool i think uh a lot of it like the the cards are are decent i don't feel like they're super flimsy i don't feel like they're they're like the best cards i've ever played with but um Mm -hmm. definitely you know good cards and the dice themselves i think are the the star um and that is a part of the base game so i think that those are are really um fun i think it's cool that they made all these different custom dice and it's just i i love the contrast of the dice to the board because the board is a very um realistic like not realistic but like it uses natural colors like the greens are the normal greens that you would see in like nature and the blues of the sea are like normal blues and then you have like bright yellow dice and pink dice and yes so i love that that is really it like stands out so that way it doesn't sort of like fade into the board because the board can be a little busy um because of how many things are going on <laughs> but yes. um i never feel like it's too busy to miss out on like seeing something that i should have seen because the the boards are very cohesive i say boards because it's with the expansion there are multiple boards so the boards are very cohesive um and bring about a really nice look to the the game yeah i think you hit on all of the right spots not only on the dice you you said everything that i could think of but also i agree that the cards are not awesome i think that the art in general i like the art on the board quite a bit but it gets almost completely covered with stuff so that doesn't really matter i think they chose this strange middle way it's not the epic um art of a blood rage a rising sun an inish um things like that it has it on the on the cover the cover has this big battle scene but then on the monster cards is not that but they didn't go with the cartoony the scent or uh, the miko kind of art right mm-hmm. which seems to be prevalent now um so it has this it's not a classic app euro is not the epic battle scenes is not cartoony and so it makes it they went with this almost a realistic approach to monsters that are clearly not realistic <laughs> and and it makes for the card is not exciting but obviously is not a, a national geographic image because they are monsters and so it's i think they wanted to give a, a nod to the mythology in which the monsters are often ugly and strange and weird but there is a reason people that then portray it in in materials go uh, in a different direction i think that the little pieces are fine uh, the the wooden food and the wooden food uh, but but not necessarily i think you you have absolutely correct that the dark the dice star uh, pace and dark we mentioned something already i think you said it very well your little turn is succinct a perfect word for that you go to a spot get whatever you need then 
I go to a spot and I get whatever I need. It's classic worker placement, meaning if I take a spot, you cannot take it. There are some that are fungible. They're similar, like there are two boats that can be taken. Or you can build your boats, so then you have it. But that takes very little. It's a game that really has analysis paralysis because the choices are somewhat limited and you know what you need. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you you go and fight and see what happens. How do you feel about the arc instead? Um, I do feel... I don't feel like it ramps up as much as I would like. Um, I do feel like you are doing a similar thing sort of throughout. I mean, yes, you are getting more workers and you're getting, um, especially with the expansion, you're getting, you know, little tokens that you can use for, for different things, depending on who's dying and, and things like that. So, I mean, it does ramp up a little bit, but I feel like, like, I almost want like at the very end, like a, a huge battle. Like I want, like, (laughs) like, I feel like that, I would have thought that that would have been like something that came, but um, I don't know how they would do it. Maybe for a future expansion. <laughs> yeah, again, I think you are spot on. It might feel, it doesn't feel repetitive to me, but if I had to analyze it dispassionately when I'm not in the game, you do the same thing yeah. every turn. You have a few more dice, but you're also losing dice, so that balances out. Um, I think the expansion helps with that as well because you have goals, like you're trying to collect certain dead people. And so while you're not increasing the amount of things that you're doing, at least you have a long-term goal. Although there is some ramping up because towards the end, it's often the case where you go and kill three giant monsters when in the first round you have food, food, and I kill a small monster. So there is some ramping up, but... It's the difference between round one and round eight, not necessarily round one, round four, or round six and round eight. So, yeah, it, it's the arc is not. I mean, I don't mind the arc of this game, but it's not something like Lost Ruins of Arnak where that's all uh, the rage for me. Right. Uh, strategy and replayability. What do you feel about that? I do feel like it's very different. Um... You, ha- you have to be able to react to different things. So, I mean, it it comes down to die rolls when you're doing battles and things like that. So, you really have to be reactive because if the things that you want died, then maybe your strategy for the following turn is to get more, res- get more resources, get more dice, get more workers, get more, you know... Um, not workers, but get more um, fighters, warriors. Um, and it it's a little more reactive. Um, and I think that's because of the battle, the battle mechanism, like I was saying. So I think that that increases the replayability because you're, there's, despite it being a Euro, there's not really, you can't say, oh, I need to do this every time like if i go here and i kill these things every time then i will win the game it no because the dice rolls are different uh what what comes out in the cards is different the order um the different like set collection of the different colors of monsters are different um what what comes out where so it's i feel like it has huge replayability for me um despite the fact that the arc isn't you know, super dynamic. 
yeah, agree on all counts. I think strategy is needs to be on the tactical level. You are reacting to the board state, what monsters came out, how did you roll last round, how other people roll last round, yeah. and so what they have now. Um, but I do find it incredibly replayable. First, because there are a lot of different monsters that the things that change bite me minor is how much attack, how much defense, what special ability. But there is a lot of it, and every turn there is a lot of it. You see uh, with the expansion, what, four, six, seven, nine monsters every round. Mm -hmm. So even just if they have high defense or high attack, that changes your game drastically, and I I agree. Uh, The designer and the artist are both, uh, this is both their their main achievement. Um, For the designer in particular, the other game he did was Police Precinct, which was... uh, a cooperative that was older age when it came out in 2013, but it was just because there weren't that many cops, I think. Um, and David Lanz has done a lot. He has over 60 games, but this is by far the most popular for both of them. Um, David Lanz I work on the new Rum and Bones. Um, and again, I feel it's the art works for the game, but I, is not a game that I would show to people to oh, see this art or that I think the art will draw you in, right? If you are a Viking fan, it conveys the Viking team enough that you can get interested. But I don't think, with the exception of the dice, which are not uh, art, though, I don't think anyone ever saw the cards or the board and went, oh, this looks so cool, I want to play it because of that. Um, so... Well, I don't know. I usually try to make comparisons, but this shows another thing that I really like about this game. How I have a very hard time comparing it to something else because other dice games are either fun and luck-based races or dynamism, uh, which this is a little more contained, or usually when they're using euros is they determine the actions that you are available in a very controlled, um, elegant way. This is neither, right? It's not a, a, a camel app, let's see what happens, but it's definitely not a Bora Bora, oh, okay, so these are the lies, these are my options like Lorenzo or Gandosti Hotel. Does it come to mind anything that you would compare this? I guess kind of a similar feel for me is um, Run, Fight, or Die. Oh, fair enough. Like, a, it's a similar feel. I wouldn't say that it's, you know, super similar. I do think that this game stands alone as far as I don't have any other games in my collection that are really similar to this. But I do feel, um, like, a similar feeling when I play Run, Fight, or Die. Because um, it's it's like if you took the Euroness out of <laughs> Champions yeah. of Midgard. Um, so I feel like that's why... I would say that, but um, yeah, I do think it's very different, very unique. Mm-hmm. And uh, for my final thoughts, I really like it. It's um, it used to be my go-to Viking games, like now because when it came out, I hadn't tried, I think, Blood Rage yet, and uh, there weren't. Well, they came out in the same year, and there weren't a lot of Viking games. Now there are many, and I like a lot of them, probably some of them 
better than Champions of Midgard. Uh, but it's still a game that I really, really like. It's exciting. It has that randomness that helps bring people in because you don't get too frustrated because you know that a battle could get better and help you or vice versa that if that battle had gone better, you could have done differently. And I do think that it's a game that rewards um, good players, but it has that randomness that makes it a little friendlier for for people who are playing it for the first time or things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's your your final thoughts about about it? Do you like it? So I like it. I think that it is... It is not something that you can just kind of... You have to know... You have to have the amount of time dedicated for it. Um, Like we said, it can run a little long. um, But it doesn't feel that way. So I think that if you are looking for like a, a more standard Euro feeling... This is not going to scratch that itch, but I do feel like it's in its own right a, a very unique experience, and I highly recommend it to anybody. Um, I would say to try and get all of it mm-hmm. um, because I think that the the sum of of the three different parts the two expansions and the base game are greater than you know each part individually i think that it has i think it's just a really great great game a really great experience and now i want to play it (laughs) yes 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 you're staring at me from from the shelf and saying (laughs) and i will at some point i guess this got a it's time and it got uh, support from both of us yes. as it usually is because we tend to re- review games that we do like but um what do you say do you want to move on to worker placement yes okay so uh worker placement games uh, is a terminology that is used very rarely i think both of us like it uh quite a bit and I was recently looking to other people discussing their favorite um, worker placement games. I think it was on the Dice Tower. And I had a little bit of an issue with what what games were on that list. They were good games, but I, I feel that worker placement is defined strangely. So sometimes it does involve placing a worker on a spot, but... It cannot be just that, because otherwise Blood Rage would be a worker placement because on my turn I can place a miniature on a spot, and that's clearly not the fact. And by just that there are games that feel like worker placement even if they're not. In my definition, but I want to see if it matches yours, a worker placement is a game in which there is a set of available action in which if I take one, I either take it away or reduce it for other people, making it either less effective or more expensive. And I have a limited number of these actions that I can make from a menu that is larger than the one that I have. Does that... I know that makes it sound very dry, but is there something that you would either add or subtract from that that idea? Um, No, I think that that's pretty much my definition too. Um, I do... I did want to try and focus more on the the actual work replacement 
not the like hybrid things like um, we've been talking about in previous podcasts, like Lords of Arnak, where that's, you know, this hybrid of ver- two very specific mechanisms kind of working together um, with the deck building and the worker placement. So that didn't like, for example, that didn't make my list because I'm looking specifically for um, just uh, uh, place workers. <laughs> that's, as I said in the beginning, back to basics, worker placement. Similar for me, I also le- left out um, Lost Ruins of Arnak specifically for that reason, because the worker placement is not the prominent um, or me- mechanic, right? You just do two worker placement and then a bunch of other stuff. I have some that, actually most of them, have stuff that goes beyond uh, worker placement with one or two exceptions that are just worker placement, but I also excluded that. That also led me to to a few uh, exclusions of things that on the surface look like they are very, very, very worker placement, uh, but we will talk about it after... Well, I can mention them now. One is uh, Tawantin Suyu, okay. which is... Uh, you place a lot of workers... But the area is so vast that is more about um, trying to make these connections work. I feel that the element of I'm reducing your options is there. First of all, is there only in the long term and not on the single? Is never reset. While most worker placement have a reset moment in which you can send your workers out again, and so the fact that there are technically meeples and technically, I guess, workers, feels more like a, an allocation space, right? I, I, I use that that resource and it's gone forever. There is no um, added costs and things like that. And you're also building a tableau of workers because the workers that are already there feed the new ones. So I felt that was a little different. And the other one that I left out, what was it? Oh, yeah, uh, Kingsburg. Uh, Kingsburg and everything else where what you place is determined randomly. I think that Kingsburg among the dice games is among the ones that gets closer to being a worker placement because when I place on a spot, you cannot take it for that round. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I would I needed to, to delimit somehow what I was doing, and so I, I excluded that as well. Do you want me to start or do you want to start with, your, with yours? I'm going to start. I picked five. Oh no! I have to cut some down. Then hang on. <laughs> oh, 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 we can go. How many? How many did you go to? I have seven. Okay, I will go to seven. You start because I need to think what my six and seven are. Okay, so my number seven is Colbaron, which is an interest. I, I picked things that I thought that were worker placement, but they did them in an interesting way. It wasn't just, I put things and and now I get things. That wasn't what I, I wanted to go for. So mm-hmm. I like that this ha- you have a, a number of workers and um, to use places that people have already been, you have to increase the number of, of people that you send to that specific location and using them efficiently is something that i struggle with but that's why i like i like games that are difficult for me and i think (laughs) that's where scott and i differ differ definitely um he gets a little stressed out when he's not understanding 
exactly how to be efficient at a game. Whereas I'm like, okay, well, you know, this game, I was not efficient at it, but you know, I can see where I still have these opportunities to, you know, maximize my efficiency for this game. And next time I'll definitely remember to do, you know, X, Y, or Z. So I really Mm -hmm. like, I really like this game. Um, the theme of it doesn't really excite me that much, you know, coal mining, but I do like the fact that, um, and I, I don't play any other games that are similar to this where you go with more, more workers. Um, so that's why I thought, uh, that this was, you know, interesting and different. Um, except maybe doesn't architects do that similarly too? Uh, architects, I, I thought, of it and that's the one that i was thinking when i said that some people include workability so architects seems to be all about workers right you have 20 workers you place them but it it's technically not i don't see how it can be a worker placement because you don't take away anything it's a menu of actions that every time you take the same action you get stronger at it yeah and the fact that this is visually represented by placing workers on on a thing rather than moving up a track, for example, doesn't change the fact that that sense of exclusivity is not there. While Cole Baron certainly changes a lot whether I take a spot or not. In architects, what you take influences what I take in no way, unless you are taking the action to capture my workers. Right. While in Cole Baron... That's actually all there is, right? Is, oh, okay, I can get this to um, call or I can get this other thing. But if Nathan goes for the to call, that to call is not there. And if he goes for contracts, if I want the contract, I need to pay both. So it's double. Not only there are cards and tiles that are taken away as soon as someone snatches them, but also the very spot in which the new tile appears is now more expensive. Yep. So while it is a little unusual and you start with 13 or 15 workers depending on on the number of players but i really think that's that's a good good point so that was my number seven my number seven is targi or targi um nice and uh it's a two-player only um worker placement you have a grid of cards on which you actually play the workers but you don't you get the bonus of the card you place it on and then you get the cards that sit at the intersection of your three workers. So when you're taking a worker, you're taking a small bonus, but most importantly, you are sticking your claim on a row of potential actions. And then depending on where the other player places, those narrow down to two of these three meeples, the intersecting two two points, yes. Um, One vertical, two horizontal, or the opposite. And you get those cards from the middle. I think that's very interesting, the fact that you are bidding on a on a row, basically, and you are taking things away from your opponent when you're doing it, but you're not yet determining yours. I actually think that Targi, I realize it the more I played, I like the game, but I think the workable placement part is much better than the game itself, meaning that I still like it, but what you do in a game is then particularly unexciting, is just get resources and buy cards that have different sets and some very lame ass abilities. <laughs> it seems like this is all two points, this is all three points. 
this is for two points, but one more if you have two palms, things like that. Yeah. I wonder if, again, I like to think of a lot of how things could be designed and then I never design anything. But if that idea of I working on in the intersection and limiting you could be built upon with cards that do things, right? Like that they move you on a track or it would become a more involved game, but cards that attack another player. So it could be, I think there is a very solid mechanism and it stops there. And while it's not as bare bone as Dominion, I feel that this idea of the grid of placement could be expanded into actually becoming a mechanism for a bigger game. Mm -hmm. And I really like Targi, Targi, uh, which is published by Cosmo. They came out with a new expansion this year that I haven't tried yet, and it's by Andreas Tiger, who's also a very nice guy. Uh, yeah, I was going to say you should check out the expansion because it looks like it adds more stuff. I will. It's in my list. It was a little out of um, out of place. Uh, sorry, out of stock. And so, yeah. Uh, fun fact: I last December, not this past one, the one before, I was actually at the Berber House in Morocco, and we got tea, and um, Anna got a, a picture in the person's uh, traditional dresses. Um, Although we were not exactly sure what we were saying because they spoke very little English and we speak very little French. So, um, but there are some wonderful Etsy components that I might now need. My number six is going to be Raiders of the North Sea. Raiders of the North Sea is by Shem Phillips from Garfield Games. I think that it's very interesting as you are placing a worker and taking a worker. That is the whole thought process behind the game. And you're getting those two two actions by placing and taking. And then with the worker that you took, then you can go on to uh, place on your next turn to a different location. And I think it's cool how the, the different uh, workers are upgraded with their different color codings and you can go to only certain spaces based on what is what it, what the um, workers like level is. So I think that that's a lot of fun. I don't know if it f exactly fits worker placement because um, you're not, you are limiting. I, I'm going to say that it does. <laughs> <laughs> because you are limiting where people can go, um, but you're not limiting where they can take from. So you're, um, you are limiting certain things. So um, I will still say that this is worker placement. It's a fun twist on worker placement. And you know that I do love a good Viking theme. So that's uh, Raiders of the North Sea. Yes, I, I. by the way, I just to cheat and get more space, I didn't put Champions of Midgard on my list because we already discussed it, but otherwise it would be there. Um, uh, number six for me is Anachrony. I really like it. The reason is uh, this low in the list is not only because there are a lot of games that I like in the category, but also because Anachrony also has the buildings, the moving back in time. 
And while everything is operated through worker placement, it almost feels like there is a lot more. But Anachrony, which is, uh, well, you probably know, is by David uh, Turzi. Yep. What? Um, and uh, by Man Clash Game is it's a game in a post-apocalyptic future. You are trying to, to to come back to time and save people, and we have talked about that before. But uh, the center of the board has a very straightforward uh, worker placement. There are five possible action one everyone can go but the other four have two or three spots each there is also an action where you can take an action that has already been full filled but costs you a little bit more you have to power up your workers to be able to get out so not everyone will have the same number of workers at all times Um, the options change midway through the game they change more drastically and it's but that part of the game that is very convoluted and big and complex the part of the worker placement is very simple once you're set up i go to a place you go to a place i go to a place you go to a place usually there is one that is a little better more uh, cheaper and some are you choose something so getting there first is better they are limited it has all of the um trimmings of of a worker placement and i really like an acronym i will venture to say that it's like a double worker placement Fair enough. Because you are powering up the suits, and then you also have to have the people to put in the suits to go out. And then you can... And it also has, yeah, it has unique workers, different workers that do different things, which is a mechanism that I really, really like. The specialist um, workers, me too. Yes. Um, actually, this has no generic workers, right? They are all specialized somehow. Um, that was a game, something that I first saw in a game called Archon, uh, which... I like not enough to make the list, but that uh, where the the strong thing was when you play the worker, it had a card instead of a chit, but it was the same. A worker was a specific kind of worker, the merchant and the cleric, and they did mm-hmm. something different. Um, Anachrony took that and added a very very impressive game on top of it. Yeah. My number six. Uh... My number five is Village from Inca Brand and Marcus Brand. And that is from Plan B Games, Pegasus Spiel, lots of different people. <laughs> um, so Village, it has this very different um, take on worker placement where you're um, aging out workers, basically. <laughs> Uh, where you want them to pass away in uh, specific locations to get them into a book of memory, basically. And uh, they are... It's it's a very interesting mechanism, the way that um, time is a resource. And you're doing a lot of action selection, but then um, I still consider it worker placement. I know that it doesn't eliminate anybody from going to those specific places uh but i still consider it worker placement because of the way that you you have to get new workers and and things like that i know that it's it's right on the cusp there of like because it's not you don't really like like we were saying before it doesn't really like eliminate people from it but i just really like village so it made my list 
<laughs> I I won't I won't give you a hard time about it. I I just will say I didn't consider it a worker placement, therefore I didn't place it. I can see how it could be, and if it were, it would probably make my list somewhere, but I didn't uh, think of where it would fall. Um, it is strange in that I think the part that mostly resemble worker placement in Village is the one that is not with workers, is the picking up of the cubes. Yep. <laughs> um, the reason I didn't feel that was straight up worker placement is because of how many there are there, right? There are like seven in the village and things like that with three players is seven. And But yeah, I, I can see a case being made for actually the cubes being a reverse worker placement, but then you also get to the special actions and things like that. But anyhow, it's not to say that you're wrong in picking it. It's just explaining why I didn't pick it. Oh, you know um, what? It is yeah. exclusive at the top of the church. Only one person can be there. But you don't place them. It's a track. Yeah, but only one person can be there. But there's a lot of tracks. Where <laughs> I'm trying to... Oh, and the Book of Memory. If you take a spot in the Book of Memory, no one else can take it. But you, both of those, you cannot just place them. <laughs> I said I was allowing it, and now I'm thinking of re-allowing it because you're getting it for the wrong reasons. Okay, anyway, <laughs> yep, number five, Village. Awesome game. Absolutely great game. Uh, I love it. We'll play it anytime. Uh, number five is Tribune, Primus Inter Paris, uh, by Karl Anschmiel for uh, originally Heidelberger Spielerfag um, in the US fantasy flight game. I know there is also a new uh, edition in the work, uh, which will be published by Spielworks, which I don't like the look of. Uh, so I'm very happy with my old and um, buttered up edition. Um, it's, uh, it's another game much like um, um, Champions of Midgard, in which you are both getting resources and booking the spots, reserving the spots to spend those resources. The board is divided in two. You are collecting cards from a display and some of them you pay, some you draw, some you go in an auction for, but you are it's all through worker placement. But at the same time, you are placing workers on, instead of monsters to fight like in Champions of Midgard, on factions that you're trying to control and you will control those by playing cards from your hand. So it's another one of those where you have to balance getting the resources and spending them in the same worker placement space. It's fast. It's a race. It's one of the first series that I remember having a race. You, The first one to col uh, complete a certain amount of objectives wins. Um, and the objectives, you have a, like a menu and you have to complete a certain amount. So not everyone is going for the same things. And you have to balance trying to stop someone else with getting your stuff. It's a game that can be very sudden, usually lasts three to four rounds, around an hour, an hour and a half. And I really like it. And it makes my number five. Well, obviously, I, it's coming from Kickstarter. So I will. I mean, don't get me wrong. No Tribune is a horrible thing. So I'm happy that they have a new edition. It includes the expansion that they didn't care for, but I'm sure someone could play without it. I mean, it's not ugly. It's just that I prefer the the simplicity of the old one. Sometimes I like games to stay simple. I particularly don't like the graphic design of the new one. Uh, the board looks horrendous to me. Uh, even if it probably makes sense, but it takes away any charm it had, and it now looks a little bit like a, a spreadsheet. 
and mm -hmm. it didn't need to because it's not that complex of a game, not at all. So it did. Some games need to be spreadsheet looking to work. Uh, this didn't need to. So okay, my number five. My number four is Zolkin. Woohoo! From Simone Luciani and Daniele Tashini from Czech Games Edition. It's also my number four. Oh, well, that's convenient. <laughs> so, uh, the thing about this that is the coolest twist on worker placement for me is the gears. If you have never seen this game, what's wrong with you? Also, look it up. Also, <laughs> um, it's it's so cool. Just the way that you put workers down, um, it costs more and more to put workers on the little gears. And then once everyone's either placed or taken workers off the wheels, you spin it, and then they are in new new positions. So then you can do the same thing, put down workers or take workers off. And you just keep going back and forth. And I think it's so... It's so frustrating, <laughs> but it's so good um, when, you know, something happens and you are trying to to plan out all your workers and you're like, oh, no, I need one more wood or I need one more <laughs> thing because it's not a simple worker placement where you can just put the worker and you get the resource. You have to plan it out. It has to be really thought out and really you need to be on top of your resources you should really be on top of everyone else's resources too to make sure that what you're setting yourself up for isn't going to be purchased out from under you in future turns by someone else such a good game very simple uh rules but um very difficult to master i feel like i absolutely adore it uh, it's one of my favorite games well first of all we're getting into old games that i really really like um <laughs> But um, I think Tribune and Tarjan and Akron are games that I really like. The, my top four are all games that I, I really love. Uh, the reason it doesn't make it a little higher is first because it's not as pure. There is this maturation of the worker in terms of worker placement specifically. And second, because, well, I have played it a lot, so maybe there is a little bit of fatigue. But most importantly, it's a fragile game, meaning that A, it can be very frustrating for people that are learning it because you can feel like you are messing up all the time and not getting anything done. Second, it, it, you need to play with a variant because people playing it hundreds of times online broke it. And third, uh, there is a lot more to to care about that all gravitates around the worker placement, but you are moving on the track, building the buildings, getting technologies, um, timing the 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 skulls where it's almost a different time kind of timing because you simply have to let it ride it out. And so I felt that when I think of what uh, incarnates, what represents a worker placement better, there were other games that did better, but it's a fantastic game. Especially at two players, I will play it anytime. Such a good game. All right, Zulkin, Mayan Calendar. So then I guess I'll move right on to my number three, which is Dwellings of Eldervale from Luke Laurie and published by Breaking Games. So this is a worker placement game where you are placing 
workers around on the board, getting different things, going to uh, uh, an ancient mill or the lost forest or dungeons, and you're getting cards, you're getting different uh, resources, and you're building dwelling, building dwellings throughout uh, Eldervale. So it is really cool in the sense that you are uh, you can get more workers and you can get specialized workers uh, that are things like dragons that have different abilities um, or wizards that have different abilities and and there are uh, so many different factions and each faction has its own special things for each of their for two out of the four of their workers so um, I feel like the replayability on this is super, super high, and it's very dynamic. The The board comes out as tiles as you explore, and it is very, very dynamic, very just a, it has a lot more going for it other than worker placement, but um, it is a very pure worker placement if um, you go there. Um, you you cannot go there again, um, but other people can go there and start a battle with you. So it, it doesn't exactly limit um, things from other players, but it does um, institute a cost of battling. So uh, I will say that it is very much a worker placement, and I am excited for you guys to try this. Yeah, when you mentioned it, I went like, wait, it's a worker placement. And then I thought of the, the gameplay that I've seen, and it's definitely worker placement. I totally agree with you that having a cost, like having to fight, is definitely a, a reduction of what you can do. Uh, it might be a cost that you can pay, but it's still uh, limiting. It, it's different if I went to a space or if I didn't. So there is, there is a certain uh, quality of that. I am excited to play it. Obviously, it didn't make my list uh, because... I've never played it, um, <laughs> but it, it looks very exciting and not just for the, the visual, right? The visual is fantastic, but it also looks like a very, very solid game. Um, and I will probably, I can see in the future having the sad version in my collection. Mine had the, it has the little bases that make noise as you move them. Believe it or not, that part I don't, I don't particularly care about. Like, other things in the base version, I would be solely missing the, the deluxe components. The speaking bases will be... I will have fun <laughs> using them with you. I will make sure that I'm extremely annoying about it. Um, to everyone at the table, including Anna. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I will not miss them. Right. My number three is the aforementioned Cold Baron. Oh, wow. Um, I agree with everything that you said. It's... Every time I play... It goes up in my my esteem. I I love the game. It was my favorite game from 2013. I think it came out. The one thing that I want to add is how that feeling of if you went there already, it will cost me more. Makes it even more so in a way than uh, a worker placement, agonizing worker placement than. A regular one because in other games is oh you took my spot and then I have to forget about it while is oh now that costs more do I take it now that costs more right or do I wait but then I risk pay even more and it's so deliciously painful um also 
it still has that beauty of worker placement of when people shout at you because you took exactly the spot that you want. Uh, there is so much of, oh, you, oh, Nathan, what have you done when someone takes something, right? <laughs> there is uh, one direct competition for, for the shipping where you are waiting. Basically, you are collecting sets and then you need to convert them into points. And to convert them into points, you need a specifically sit, uh, shipping action. So if no one has trains, I can wait and take it. But if you have trains, do you take it before me, even if you're not or your trains are completed? Or do you wait to be completed, but then it will cost you more? It's delicious. Is my favorite game by Kramer and Kisling. Um, Byron, I totally agree. My number three. My number two is Anachrony. Woohoo! Which you discussed already, but gorgeous, 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 gorgeous game. Uh, especially if you have the uh, Anachrony Infinity Box, which takes up almost a full Calyx cube. So, um, yeah. Have I'm, you played with it yet? No, I just put it away. <laughs> uh, it's a beast to pack and unpack. And um, I am excited to, to play with it. It looks like it's going to bring about a lot of different things. I'm excited for all the different uh, modules that it has added. And hopefully uh, I can get this to the table more often. That That is why it did not make my number one spot is because I feel like I have not played this enough. Um, but I do love it every time I play it. You know that I am a willing uh, gaming companion for that. Yes. As soon as you, uh, your, your vaccine kicks into gear. I My number two is also already mentioned. We have a lot of uh, crossover, but I suspect my we're done with that. We'll see. Uh, Raiders of the North Sea nice. is uh, close to the top of my worker placement specifically. I don't know if I like it more than the games that I mentioned before, although with the expansions it gets really crunchy and very nice but it uh, maintains that simplicity of I place a worker I take a worker I place a worker I take a worker is at the same time very simple and very meaningful and I really like it every for every, all of the reason that you that you said uh, there is a, an interesting way in which you block other players and it's definitely something that you after a few rounds you start thinking about not only what I want, but also, oh, wait, if I take this, the next person will be able to, to get this spot and that spot. I don't want that. So you, you change slightly. So it's a, it's a different kind of approach. You don't race for the thing that you need. You're mostly thinking of, can I take this and don't offer the next person exactly what they need? And it's another one of those where you're balancing activating in the village where you get the resources with activating elsewhere where you spend the resources. Um, and that's very good. Yes. So my number one is Lorenzo Il Magnifico. I love it with and without the base game, or with not with the base game, with and without awesome. the expansion. Um, and I feel like this game is worker placement, like extra punishment mode, <laughs> because Indeed. not only are you limited by so you're going to a specific spot to get a card and you have to have the resources and things like that and then you can get the card however um so that in and of itself is pure worker placement because no one else can get that card because you now own it obviously and um 
that is like the worker placement part of it. But then the extra punishment is if anyone has gone in the tower where you are, it costs you extra to go to that space in coins. So, and that includes yourself if you went with your neutral player. So it's super, super punishing. And and you have to think about so many different things because even though there's only 16 spots of like, um, places in these towers you need to also have all the resources so you can go other places to get resources or run your machine or which is a tableau that you're building and it's it's so good like every time i walk away from it even if i lose even if i'm you know massacred in this i still feel like i had so much fun doing it because it's so there's so much to consider and I'm like, okay, well next time I can do better. I can do this. I can do that. But it, it has this huge replayability because even though you only have a deck of cards that they will all come out, it just depends on what order they come out in. But the order that they come out in makes it hugely dynamic because you are playing them in, in, in the different spots, which have different inherent costs on them and it just makes for this really tense, really awesome game that I love at two players or higher. Like, it is such a great game. I can't say enough good things about it. And I've played it probably one of the most in my, my collection. It's a fantastic game. And one of two, the other being Underwater Cities, that went back and forth on my list. And when it was in, it was probably on number two. And I took it out and I took it in because there is a lot more. Like you roll the dice and you are waiting for certain results and you are activating the machines and you're moving on the track and you have the leaders that you're trying to complete. So I felt there was a lot more on top of the worker placement, but it's an excellent game. Definitely with worker placement elements, um, I kind of try to make my life easier and decide that both this and underwater cities were not uh, pure worker placement. Yeah. Um, but I can actually see, and again, if it were on my list, it, it would be on number two. Uh, but if I had, if I hadn't eliminated something like this and the one thing sue you and underwater cities and Kingsburg and the South dynasty and, and all of that, my list would have been a top 100 probably. Uh, <laughs> so I needed to, to, to put a stop there. And my number one is uh, what I chose again. It, it's a game that I really like and on more play, I can see it skyrocketing to the top of my list. Um, and it's, the essential w competitive worker placement for me it's uh Terramara. Uh, the I way <laughs> I really really like it it has a few things that I like you take the spot uh, spots are extremely limited even when they are not limited to come where you are and there are two two spots for each action people need to um, pay um, uh, have military power that you keep track on and spend it. You have a large worker that can go almost everywhere. Uh, you can take first player, but you give something to other people. You can take actions um, that influence other people. Also, you can take an action, and that's the genius part, in future turns. 
The way it works is you have a menu of actions that you're moving on and the options expand. You can always uh, go to the ones that are yet to come. But if you do, you don't get your worker back until you get to that round. So on the first round, you could go for five uh, for round five actions that are super powerful, but then your worker is gone until the end, and yep. almost the very end. And I find that extremely charming. The actions shrink because the the round that you are done with you flip the tiles and now there is a special action but instead of six action you now have one special um and it's it's very good again i think that it does worker placement perfectly um there are no dice no cards uh that influence worker placement they do other things they are objectives basically the cards um there are very limited special abilities that influence your worker placement if none at all there are a lot of things around it but on your turn you have to place one of these freaking workers and it's constant and absolute pain so uh the, the alternative title for this list is worker placement or sadomasochism <laughs> <laughs> um, because I feel that with a very few exceptions, one being raids, uh, but when we speak about mean games, they tend to be this kind of thing. Uh, they are often synonymous with the euros that we like, but not exclusively. For example, I really like Ugong, and that's not a worker placement. Um, and I think that, uh, again, there are a few that... I didn't make the list. Uh, some arbitrary cuts, for example, someone could argue that Bora Bora is kind of a worker placement because you limit what other people can do. But again, I try to stay as pure as I could also to make my life slightly easier. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that that was a very good list. We got lots of different styles in there. Even though they were all worker placement, they still all feel a little different. Okay, and I think that finally brings us to the close of our episode three of season two. Thank you for listening. Um, as usual, wherever you find us, com- comment. We are we received a few comments recently that made us very happy. Um, but also let us know your your feedback. You can reach us on Facebook at Board Game Gambit, on Instagram at Board Game Gambit or at borgengambit at gmail.com. As usual, thank you for listening. Thank you, Nathan, very much for doing this together. And um, that's all I have. I am Jackie. And I'm Nathan. Bye-bye.